Hello, take two. We are here. Sorry, we crashed. So we're just going to start over. <laughs> so if you're joining us again, hello. My name is Jess. <laughs> Welcome to RPG R&D. I am here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello. <laughs> and with our special guest co-host of the week, Brennan Taylor. Hello. Hey, Brennan, would you like to reintroduce yourself and tell us again <laughs> what you do? <laughs> sure. My name is Brennan Taylor. I'm a game designer, uh, tabletop games. Uh, I work with uh, Galileo Games is the company that uh, I publish most of my stuff through. And I'm, I've am i done a number of tabletop games, including Bulldogs, Mortal Coil, and How We Came to Live Here. And uh, I was also one of the co-founders of uh, Indie Press Revolution, which is a small games fulfillment uh, company. Yeah, and when in-person conventions are a thing again, you will, you've certainly seen their booths before if you've, if you've been to gaming conventions, but uh, I, I'm looking forward to the time when we can have that again. Yes, uh, <laughs> me too. I missed my conventions this year pretty badly. It was, we, we all do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really feeling it, especially around the holidays too. If you can't tell, like I've, I've just dominated like before the, before the, crash of our uh, stream i was talking about the pandemic too <laughs> uh, craig do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about our, our podcast in general and uh, what our current episode is about sure um we're uh hitting on a bunch of different topics um and starting tonight with uh, a GMing topic like we've been doing so far um, in, in this uh, kind of geared toward people who are perhaps GMing for the first time. So just kind of a general overview and some ideas regarding um, ways to play, what's right for your game, short-term campaign, long-term campaign, in-person, online. Um, there's a lot of different ways to play an RPG. It's, it, they don't all have to be sitting at a table, um, you know, traditional style, as it were. Um, so, uh, Jess, why don't you get us started on that? Yeah, I, I'm not going to knock online play. I've been doing a lot of online play, obviously. But my personal preferred style is definitely sitting around at a table in person so you can talk and you can have your side conversations. You can get up and go get drinks and, and chat and take breaks. Your GM can easily break off with people to talk with them one-on-one. -on -one. I just really, really miss that about about gaming the kinds of games i like to play just work better when everyone is together and you know all of the the things that the meat space holds instead of our <laughs> virtual space it's just so much I, I don't know it feels it feels more like a social activity rather than just a game if that makes any sense sure yeah yeah Absolutely. I mean, I will say that the pandemic has increased my appreciation for online gaming because I wouldn't be getting any at all if it weren't for that. And uh, I am actually able to enjoy some gaming, which is good, but I really miss hanging around the table with people. Um, it's still my preferred method of play. And, yeah. for, and, and it tends to be mine as well. But for, for people who don't have, um, uh, you know, a group of people right near them who they can get together with easily, um, all those people who are living out in the little tiny towns <laughs> who have come and discovered RPGs and are, are, are digging RPGs, like online play is, is the savior. Like there was a time when 
um, that like a, a person who lived in the little town who like just didn't get a chance to get together with people. All they really had were conventions. Um, so they'd really go all in and they'd go to conventions and they would just game around the clock. Right. You know, because that's, that's where they got their, their fix was at, you know, one or two or three conventions a year that they could afford to go to that were within a decent distance or weren't too expensive or whatever. Um, but you know, nowadays it's a question of just finding kind of the thing that works for the group that you're work that you're dealing with. Um, you know, if you can find a group that you can sit down at a table, that's great. Um, but there is something to be said for, I don't have to take the time to drive to somebody's place and then drive back after the game is done. You can just sit down, boom, have the game, get up and go, um, with whatever it is you've got going on in your life. So, you know, um, online games are, uh, you know, and, and, and the tools are in place on top of it. You know, there's mm-hmm. Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds and everything. So, um, and Zoom, like we're using here, uh-huh. if you're just, right. if all you need to do is talk. Um, yeah, so, you know, like just from a GMing perspective for people looking at it the first time, there's, uh, you know, talk to the people that you're involved with that you're looking to play with and just kind of figure out what might work the best. Try You can always try one thing and then switch to something else if that doesn't seem to be kind of conducive to your efforts yeah i'm i'm kind of really bad about the amount of time i spend with games during <laughs> normal times uh every saturday i go and i drive like 40 minutes to my friends where we sit from we start at six and sometimes we aren't done until 12 usually like 11 or 12 um so like five, six hours of gaming every Saturday. So much so that when I first started dating my current fiance, I was like, you know, I'm not really available on Saturday. <laughs> I your, have a thing. I have some prior commitments. Your your current fiance? Uh, yeah. <laughs> my current I'm fiance. Just, did I say that? <laughs> you did. You did. I I know. It's easy yeah, to say. You know. There was a time when you often referred to him as your current boyfriend, I'm sure. Right. Or your, or your current partner. Yeah, my, just, yeah. Your, my then boyfriend, current fiance. <laughs> there you go. You're, for, you're forever, yeah. Um, Future husband, you know. There you go. I'm just having Time. fun. Just having fun with you. Um, but yeah, I, when I first started, the first time I ever role-played was play-by-post on Neopets, hmm. on Neopets forums. And I still have friends that I used to role-play with, um, like back when I was 11, uh, on new <laughs> so yeah. I, I've done it all. I've done I've done in person. I've done play by post. I've done you know the virtual tabletop now like way more than ever. So mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I think um, something to keep in mind too to think about new GMs out there and and anybody that's looking to start up a campaign, even if you've GM before, especially if um, you're looking to try a different game, a, you know, a, a game that's not typical for your group, trying something new, is like how like what's what's the right length like how often do you play and how long do you want to play just all of that like how long do you want to play for per session how long do you want to play like a campaign is are you just going to start playing and let it go until it peters out or do you have a an idea in mind we're going to have a campaign that runs a certain amount of time um is it going to be weekly is it going to be every other week um because that's all you know especially you know as life gets more and more hectic as you get older you have more responsibilities, it becomes harder and harder to necessarily find time weekly. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, or to find a lot of time weekly, like a, every other week for three hours might be kind of what you can fit, what you can yeah. make work. Um, 
and you know communicate that to the players um that uh you know like this is how often it's going to be it's going to only maybe be you know every other week or whatever the schedule is going to be like um and you know just trying to get buy-in from everybody that okay we'll make sure we always try to hit that because the, the less often the game is the more important it is that you all make it to the game right. otherwise it's easy for the game to just peter out mm-hmm. absolutely and you know the the scheduling thing is is super important just because uh, you you start to depend on players being there and their characters being integral to what is going on. And if they can't make it, then that can throw you off. So it's it's important uh, to really be upfront about what you're expecting people to want to do at the beginning of the campaign um, so that everyone can commit. It, it's definitely a commitment too. Uh, I feel like it, I know that it's not just people in my generation who have a problem with this, but particularly in, in my generation, I feel like it's more socially acceptable to blow off uh, a commitment, a social commitment for another social commitment. Um, it, it shouldn't be that accepted because, you know, you are leaving people up in the air uh, when it comes to that. But I see it happen a lot with with people around my age. They're like, oh, I'm not going to make it to game tonight. And then they'll go out and hang out with some friends because they had someone schedule something. It's always nicer to give your GM, like if you are a GM, it's always nicer to have that knowledge ahead of time. Um, And if you're a player, giving your GM that, that knowledge ahead of time helps them make a better game for the players who are still going to be there. Because you can still run a campaign, I feel. Like, our our Saturday games, we still run if we have at least half of our players. But it does throw things off sometimes if our GM can't prepare ahead. And it throws me off, too. I, I hate being like, oh, I was really planning on having all these people here. Well, I guess. I'm not really changing anything, so good luck <laughs> with what I have set up. <laughs> but... Yeah, absolutely. Um, I found that during this time of COVID that it has been easier to get people to do stuff weekly uh, than it had been before. And I think it's just because everybody's stuck at home without a lot to do. And they're like, we need to be playing games. They need need their fix. That's right. I think that's definitely true because they're not they're not making last minute plans to go out to the movies or to go out to the bar or something. It's right. like this is the thing. I, I am here. I'm home already. Um, I get it, but like for people, there are some people who have, um, you know, if you're neuro, if you're not neurotypical, um, committing to a schedule, like there are going to be some days that you're just going to have to drop out of your mm-hmm. game. That, that's going to happen. Um, people who have kids, like <laughs> things pop up when you have children, apparently. Come on, don't have kids if you want to be a gamer. That's all I have to say. <laughs> the big takeaway. But, the, but you, can, you can take, you can have kids and then they grow up to be gamers like mine. So then you end up having like a captive audience for your games. Then you've got yes. a group. A built-in right. group. You've got a, you got a built-in group. <laughs> yeah, some people want to have kids so they can have a baseball team. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> some people want to have kids so they can have a, a game, <laughs> an RPG group. <laughs> I just I just want three kids so that my partner and my three kids can be in a D&D adventuring party. <laughs> right. <laughs> Train them from an early age. Okay, you're going to be right. the fighter. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, from a GM perspective, I think you, you at some point you do have to kind of put your foot down and be 
as GM, you are the one who's expected to keep the schedule, even though it should be a, a shared responsibility. You are blocking out this amount of time for your group and people should respect your time because that is a way of showing you that they respect you as well um, as, you know, as a human being whose time is worth something. Uh, and that's something that you should cover in your session zero for sure. Like, okay, here are my expectations for how often people are going to be here, or here's our group expectation. And this is what's going to happen if you, you know, are frequently absent or late or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be, if you're going to be late, how much notice would be ideal? Like, mm -hmm. it, like, right. like, can, is there any, try to let me know a couple of days in advance. Don't, don't spring it on me an hour before, unless there's absolutely no, you have, you have no choice. Mm -hmm. And those have been the most successful games. Like the longest running campaigns I've ever had is when those expectations were set early and they were clear. Um, of course, as a GM, you can also make the alternative less fun than your game. Like if your <laughs> game isn't very fun, yeah, people might not want to show up all that often. Right. Uh, but again, the importance of a session zero with your with your group. Absolutely, and I think that you know scheduling is something that I think a lot of people may not realize how important it is for long term. Uh, health of your game group, yeah. right? And setting those expectations. And there's a there's the potential, if you are gaming very regularly and the sessions are very long, there's the potential of a burnout factor uh -huh. too. And so like scheduling time off is not necessarily a bad thing. Say we're gonna have this, we're gonna be running here weekly for whatever amount of time for several months. And we're gonna say, okay, now we're gonna, we're gonna. We're just gonna take a weekend off, and we're not gonna. We're not gonna game. People can go out and do their thing that they wanted to do all the time on the weekends, or we're gonna. We're gonna shift gears, and we'll just we'll like if if you're in person, you can do like a board game or a card game night. If you're, um, you can do a one shot of another game to just you know uh -huh. shake it up and try something else. Um, you can have somebody else GM <laughs> for a session, um, and then the GM gets a chance to kind of kick back and just play a character and and not have to have the pressure on them for a session or two or you know, whatever it is you decide. So, I mean, I've, I've, um, I, I haven't had a really regular campaign for some time, but whenever I did in the past, um, like the scheduled downtime or switching gears to a one shot or two shot type of thing, um, sometimes with a different GM was something that I did quite a bit and it always worked really nicely because it would give everybody a chance to kind of take a breather from whatever it was you were thinking about. And then it would build anticipation for when you came back to it too, because now now players are like, oh, we haven't played for a couple of weeks. Now I've got this, you know, like where were we? What was going on? What's the cool thing that's coming up? Yeah, we were. I was playing in a Blades in the Dark game, and the GM wanted a break, so we've we've switched, and I'm running the One Ring for them uh, as we take our break, and then we're going to go back to Blades in the Dark after we've gotten a couple of adventures under our belt for the One Ring. So, yeah, that's exactly how my my Saturday game does it. We, our, our GM, our, our usual GM typically has an idea of how, like what the steps are going to be for the campaign. Like here's the end goal of the campaign there. It's not something that's going to continue indefinitely. So we're not going to reach that point of burnout. Uh, when he's feeling burnt out, we switched up. We'll have a game night or someone will do a one shot just like that. And it has been super, super successful. Um, yeah, that's that great. I mean, GMs need a GMs need a break too sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
Uh, it can, it, 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 yeah, the GM, I think, is working pretty hard most yeah. of the time uh, <laughs> to make sure everything's entertaining and to do all the prep and everything that they need to do for the game. So giving them a break every once in a while is good. <laughs> and if you're you the GM... <laughs> oh, sorry, oh you ahead. just reminded me that I need to buy a Christmas present for my GM. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, and if you're the GM, it's okay to ask for that break. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Perfectly reasonable. Yeah. Don't put yourself in the spot where you burn yourself out, right? Been there. Yeah. When the GM stops showing up to games, then right. you know the game is dead. <laughs> That's guaranteed to kill it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah when, I, when I GM, I try to have a, a, a set goal or endpoint that I, I know that the players will reach... Um, so so I I know when the light at the end of the tunnel is and I know like oh man I wonder if I could speed through this a little bit or if oh they're having a lot of fun maybe I'll linger here in this um this place for a while it just it helps me avoid that burnout too because I want to reach the end of the story just like the players do yeah yeah I have to say a lot of times when I've had a set goal or something I haven't reached it as the GM just because <laughs> the game has uh died off or something before I got there but I do generally have some sort of idea of what the shape of the campaign is going to be. Yeah. Uh, it's just hard when you have like five people, five different schedules all at the same time. It's hard to find the little piece in the middle of your Venn diagram of everyone's schedules that works. Yeah. Yeah. Like doodle doodle is a, a godsend for <laughs> scheduling. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. doodle.com everybody it's, it's free <laughs> I've, I've used it uh i've used it a ton over the course of the past couple of years um yeah to schedule meetings for stuff um and it's you, you use it for scheduling games pretty easily too if especially if you have group if you have players that can't necessarily commit to the same time and on the same day all the time mm-hmm. um, yeah right if you don't have like a regular game day doodle is super useful you know, like, there's something to be learned from LARPs, too. Because um, I also LARP, because I, again, do every kind of gaming under the sun here. Um, where LARPs will have their their game days scheduled months in advance. Mm-hmm. So people can kind of clear their calendars if they're going to be there. But it's also not necessary for everyone who normally plays to be there at the LARP that day. Um, so thinking about what is necessary for your group, if you have a couple of parents that, you know, sometimes they have things come up, maybe know that, hey, around school time, like in the summer, things might be a little bit more flexible, but like during the school year, maybe you shouldn't have any big character plot developments that are going to revolve around that character or have some sub plans where you have something you can throw at them that's a little bit more one shotty if that person isn't going to be there, but you really do need their specific character. Like yeah. sometimes you have to, you got to do a lot of juggling <laughs> sure. as a GM. Especially if you know, like if, if the, if the player in question being, you know, like let's say they're, they're a parent and they've got a, a, a child who's going to be doing some theater thing. So there's going to be like, all of a sudden they're going to have to be running people to rehearsals and there's going to be the first performances and there's going to mm-hmm. be certain times during the year um, that are going to be bad, whereas other times they might uh, have, have more flexibility. So that goes with any player for any time. 
for any right. you know time constraints like certain people if, if you've got players that are you know that like they go to do a thing <clears throat> like they go to the they go to the renaissance festival every you know every weekend for october <laughs> if there's a renaissance festival around you that is in october you know that that okay well octobers are just bad for them maybe that player needs to just be uh written out of the game temporarily um right and then mm-hmm. uh, and then bring them back in with a big flourish and give their character something great in the first episode that they're back you know in the first game that they're back <laughs> Um, welcome, welcome them back. <laughs> yeah. And if you are that player, tell your GM in advance too. Let them know, like, yep. hey, these are the days that don't work for me. Like, as soon as you know, let them know. <laughs> yeah, just so that the long-term plans can be adjusted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. it's so tricky. Scheduling is just so, like I I run uh, like the journalism program at my high school, and you know that is there's that's a group of like 18 kids and i'm like trying to like figure out okay what day works for this oh well you have dance practice and oh you have there's a band concert that day okay i guess we have to move it because that's five of my it's so tricky and and there's not unfortunately a one-size-fits-all solution for your scheduling problems this is like the number one problem that everyone who games that i talk to has is right scheduling <laughs> or find players like me who don't go anywhere or do anything <laughs> um, yeah. and then scheduling is a breeze <laughs> or you know play by post where you're not necessarily synchronous yep. if if you are a person who has like a weirdly hectic schedule play by post is really fun you have a little bit more time to think about what your character is doing there's a little bit more like you know, you just have a little bit more leeway in, in, in thought. You're not making a fatal mistake by blurting the first thing that comes out of your mouth. You're not, like, trash-talking a dragon, for example. You're like, oh, well, maybe that's not a good idea. <laughs> a little bit. Um, and you can play that asynchronously. Um, and, like, okay, I posted my thing. I'm going to come back and check the play-by-post tomorrow. Um, I've, I have never really played play-by-post with more than two people. Mm. But I know people who have. And and they really do enjoy it. Yeah, I've had play by post disintegrate just because people stop participating. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's, I mean, I've had in person games that had the same problems. That's so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's that's a that's a hazard no matter what. Right. So right. let's see. Now that we've now that we've solved all your problems <laughs> right. about how to. Uh, to you schedule and get people squared away uh, from GMA. If you do exactly what we said. <laughs> um, let's see. Did, did we want to shift gears? I think so. I think sure. like that's basically all we can say about scheduling. I, it's I agree. hard. It's hard. <laughs> A lot of communication. A lot of communication, yeah. And, and stating your uh, expectations up front, I think, is the most important thing. Definitely. What's next, Jess? Well, we're going to talk about mechanics, and we're going to talk about using other pre-built systems, SRDs, like systems that are already made and set up that you can insert your own game into as a game designer. Yeah, I have done this uh, many times now. (laughs) Tell us about that. uh, So my game Bulldogs was originally uh, done for the D20 system, which was third edition D&D uh which had an srd and so you could modify it uh bulldogs is a space uh 
uh, adventure game. So it was very, very different than Dungeons and Dragons. So I made a lot of modifications. Um, and then when I did the second edition, I decided to use the fate system for it, which I think was a better fit for the, uh, the kind of zany adventures that I was aiming for in that, uh, in that game. Um, but I've also worked with uh, Powered by the Apocalypse, which is another game system that's out there that you can use if you want to. Um, there's a lot of games that use it. Um, the latest project I was working on was called Thousand Arrows, which is a Japanese Warring States period game using Powered by the Apocalypse rules. Yeah, I love Powered by the Apocalypse. Moonpunk's Powered by the Apocalypse, and uh, it just it kind of worked with what we wanted to do and it was it was a little easier kind of as a springboard for our first major release as one of the games and it was just you know just fun to do i liked playing powered by the apocalypse <laughs> right i mean well and i'll say every game that i've designed in a system it's because i've enjoyed the system so it's not like uh i have uh I've picked a system for uh, for reasons other than it's something that I think is is enjoyable and good to use. So, yeah, for newbie designers out there, if you're not familiar, SRD is I think it stands for System Reference Document. Document. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Yeah. So that like D and D has an SRD. Pathfinder has an SRD. There are SRDs for lots of different games out there, and that's an easy way to kind of skin on your own setting and your own your own game onto an all already there system. You, you right. you're using their rule set. The wonderful yeah. thing about games is that you cannot, you can't really copyright mechanics. That's not a, a thing. Like that's you can not copyright a thing. Names. Yeah. You can copyright <laughs> names. You can like D, uh, wizards of the coast has copyrighted tiefling, for example, like the name tiefling. Um, and I think beholder is also under copyright. It is. Like I think that. that's one of their own custom creatures. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you can't copyright elf. Nope. Elf is not a thing that you can copyright. No, um, <laughs> that's been in the public domain for a long time. So. <laughs> yeah, and you can't copyright roll a d twenty and add your modifier for a skill. Like, you can't copyright that. Um, well, to be fair, you can you can copyright the the method in which the specific wording of how the rule is presented, but the rule itself is not copyrighted. I can right. the three of us could each describe the D twenty the basic D twenty mechanic in three different ways, mm-hmm. using different words, different sentences, different structure of how you're presenting the information. That that's what you can't copyright. Right. Yeah, that's it's what you can't. That's that, that that is what you can copyright. You can't copyright like the idea of roll a D twenty and add or subtract a number. Right. Yeah. Um, and the great thing about uh, the <laughs> the the golden age of of RPGs that we live in right now is there's a lot of systems that are just sitting there that are completely usable with um, more or less um, involvement by the um, the developer of the system as far as quality control or that sort of thing goes to like some right. things you can just use straight up and some some things they. Um, some companies hold a little bit tighter of a leash. They just want to see an example of what you're planning to produce, so, so that if you're going to use a logo that they that they have for their system, that they you know that, that they feel comfortable that you're producing something that right. kind of fits what the game is like about and what the system does. And that's what I'd say. You know, anytime you want to sort of brand it uh, to associate it with another game system, you're going to need permission for that. It, it, using the SRD is generally open. That that the whole point of that is that it's open source 
game technology is what the SRD is for. Um, so you can grab that, you can repurpose it, you can tweak it, you can uh, do anything you want, you can call it anything you want, uh, so long as you have the uh, right uh, documentation that goes with it. Um, but if you're going to be doing something like saying that it is uh, powered by fate, uh, you need to have uh, the permission of Evil Hat uh, Productions, who does Fate, um, to put that logo on there. And yeah. if you're if you're making an honest to goodness effort to create something that is true to the system and isn't going to like reflect poorly on the company or the desi designer that developed it, I, d I don't think I've heard too many stories of people being denied use of uh, of a system because you know like if you create if, if i were to create a system that was let's let's say creative commons like let's say for example the capers system which is creative commons um like if somebody wanted to use that as long as it's being presented kind of fairly and i'm being credited as having designed the system that's great you know like that's just that's that's marketing for me <laughs> like other right. people are going to learn about the system and learn about my games by buying um or playing your game um, the real the real kicker for me, the thing that I find the most interesting about using an existing system is finding the system that is right for the type of game you want to design. Absolutely. And that's not to say that and that's not to say there's only one um, system that is necessarily like that, but there's usually systems that are better for the thing you're trying to make. Yeah. Um, and uh, not to say like. Like I'll, I'll I'll put this out there, the D twenty system gets used for a lot of stuff. It does, um, and it does because I think primarily it's very very well known. People understand it. People who are trying out game design, um, they it's a system they know. It's they they understand it. They know how to to tweak it. They've probably modded it and done things with it in house rules and so forth. Um, but D twenty, unless you strip it and really do weird stuff with it. D20 plays a certain way. It plays a certain type of game. Yeah. Um, where characters become like godlike heroically um, with, with crazy powerful magic and big hit bonuses and they do tons of damage. And, um, but, it, you know, so if you're designing a game that doesn't do that, that's like a political game, maybe D20 is not the right game, uh, the right system to, to uh, use without like heavily, heavily modifying it. Yeah, and then one of the things that I did, you know, as I, I designed Bulldogs in the D20 system originally, um, and it felt a little bit like I was shoehorning it in when I did that. I don't think that it was a bad game, but it definitely didn't have the same feel I wanted out of the game. Whereas when I switched it to Fate, it had that sort of pulpy feel that Fate gives you. Um, that I really wanted out of the game. And so when I switched over to, to the Fate system, I felt like it really uh, was much more uh, a home for that, uh, that particular property. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what worked for Fate versus the, the D20 system? I, I, I was really interested in that. Yeah, so uh, Bulldogs is, uh, you know, sort of a scrappy... Uh, pulpy star wars without jedi kind of uh <laughs> setting right um people have said uh it's it's kind of like uh uh firefly crossed with guardians of the galaxy kind of uh uh 
uh, feel for it. So the thing that fate does is it gives you those aspects, which really let you sort of juice your character. And they, they say a lot about the character and they, they, they're, you know, you can bring in humor and stuff into the game through them. Whereas uh, D20 had a class system, which the classes I had to really customize to fit a space adventure game. And uh, in the in the end, I didn't feel like uh, some of them were the greatest builds that I could have done for classes. Like I had to do pilots and engineers and things like that, which are a little harder to deal with in the D twenty system. Um, Fate is uh, is very fast and smooth, and uh, you know you you say what you're going to do, you do it. Uh, you can take you can get these legendary actions that uh, that show off how good your character is at things. And that's kind of what I wanted for the pulp system. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard multiple people describe fate as a good one for pulp style mm -hmm. storytelling, because it does allow you to create a fairly, even at like starting level, quote unquote, a fairly competent character. Um, and so with aspects and fate points, like you can build a character that can really kind of have those big moments pretty easily. Um, yeah. and have kind of the big pulp moments. <clears throat> um, whereas, you know, something like the powered by the apocalypse games is less about, um, action. I mean, you, you certainly can do action, mm -hmm. just, but it, it, uh, PBTA focuses quite a bit on like, what does the, what, what does the narrative feel? Like, what is, what, 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 what does your character feel? Like, where's the story going? What's the, well, yeah, it pushes most... the story to the forefront and it's not quite as worried about mechanical kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And the, the most common result in a PBTA game is a partial success, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. As opposed to a fate game where you're very commonly going to be able to succeed or succeed by a large margin because you have resources at your command that allow you to do that. Um, so yeah, PBTA has a much, uh, it, the feel I think of PBTA is a lot more, there's a lot more risk involved in trying to do things. And that's not what you want for pulp. You want people, you know, trying crazy things like yeah. jumping from one spaceship to another without a spacesuit <laughs> on, you yeah. know. PBTA, yeah, I... oh, go ahead, sorry. Go ahead, no, you go ahead. Well, PBTA, you know, like you were saying, it, it, you can succeed at stuff, but there's always like, there's always the twist that goes with it. There's always the little downside of the little thing that bites you in the butt. There's the, the complication that gets added. Um, or you, you do the thing, but not quite in the way you wanted to, to not to full efficacy. Um, so there's always like, there's always new developments. It always like the, there's always something new happening in the moment. Whereas, um, games that get more pulpy, like, um, like fate or uh savage worlds where you it's like you know you get you go big or go home like you get the big success and boom that you do the thing and it's like woohoo and that's great and then you move on to the next big thing right there's also a little bit more gm interference being run when you're running a fate game um versus a powered by the apocalypse game um for pbta the, the characters your players are making most of the primary decisions and your role as the the master of ceremonies is to react to what they are doing um rather than your players reacting to what you're doing you can do that with any game but powered by the apocalypse is like meant to do that specifically so if you want a game for if you want mechanics for your game where the the gm has a little bit more agency i wouldn't go with with that 
No, and I agree. Powered by the Apocalypse is very player-driven. Um, you, you as a GM aren't even making any roles. So mm -hmm. uh, you're just reacting to everything that the characters do. And when their failures come up, that's when you get to push forward all the stuff that you want to push forward as mm -hmm. the GM. But uh, I've had I've had definite runs of the game where everybody succeeded at everything all night long, and so not much bad happened to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I've also had me. the runs. Yeah, I've had the runs where they failed at everything too, and so it just became an escalating snowball of terrible things. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm trying to think what There's... else. Go ahead. There's a lot you can take to my recommendation for, for designers would, would be to play a bunch of different games. You'll be surprised when you see how many games are based off of another system or really heavily inspired by another system, even if they are not using like the same mechanics or the same SRD. Um, there, there's a lot out there and you, you might not know that the perfect system already exists for what you want to do unless you, you know, try to go and experience those things. Even, and you don't have to necessarily even play them. Like you can just read the books. Read the books and you get in discussions, yeah. get, get startup discussions online. Go to, you know, on your, on your social media or go to forums where they're talking about stuff and just pick people's brains about mm -hmm. um, like what, you know, like it, it, it can be as simple as just saying, okay, you know, like here's a list of like six or eight or whatever systems that are well known and just ask people, what do these do well? What do you, what do you think these do well? What's the strengths of these systems? What's the weaknesses of these systems? Um, and you'll get a lot of different opinions. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> there will yeah. there will certainly be some amount of consensus among um, if you get enough opinions, there'll be like you'll you'll start to see the through lines of what the different systems do well. Yeah, and and one of the advantages of doing that is that if you're developing your own system um, and not really trying to modify an existing one, you just you see all variety of mechanics and different ways of, of approaching things. Mm -hmm. And that can help you sort of form your own uh, mechanics as well. It's also I, helpful I, to know that you are not doing, you are not the first person to ever think of this thing. Right. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, everything that I've done has always been inspired by and driven by my experiences with other games. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, all the mechanics I've come up with have either been a reaction to things I didn't like or a co-optation and a, an adaptation of something that I did like. Mm -hmm. so. And there's, there's, if, you know, if you're working with somebody's, you know, an existing system, generally speaking, there's very few systems are so unforgiving that you can't modify and add things to them. You can, you can tweak a little bit about how certain things work. You can add subsystems that kind of fit in the vein of the, the core system of the game, but then add something new to the game. Um, you know, like a, a common thing I see in, in uh, uh, some, some systems is like, if you've got a group of characters, like, well, like if, if it's a space game, is the ship like a character? Does the ship do yeah. things? Is the ship important in some way? So you can build something out. You could take any system pretty much and just make like make the ship a character in some way. Give them something that they give the give the ship something that it can do that benefits the group that makes it kind of unique and special. Um, you know, if, if, like if the characters in a, if the characters are in a group like the the group that they're part of, the club or the organization, or the guild should, or yeah. whatever, might be um, something that uh, you can build out. Um, and give some sort of mechanical significance. Definitely, and some systems are really good for that. Like, uh, like in Bulldogs, it uses fate, 
and the ship has all these aspects that are you're able to call upon when you're using your ship it also has a trouble which means that the gm is going to be giving you uh fate tokens when the problems that the ship has comes up so it's all part of that sort of fate economy I, uh, that's my favorite thing about fate is the aspects. I borrowed some of that for Moonpath content. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aspects are a really cool tool, mm -hmm. and you can take any part of that system too. You could take, well, here's a game. Here's a here's a system that isn't terribly deadly, and you can modify if you want. Like what if you like everything about what the system does, but you want it to be a little grittier, you know, you can take whatever the uh, hit point or condition or stress or whatever the mechanic is called and modify that so it's it's rougher it's, it's more difficult to deal with and like getting injured is more is is uh, more more impactful right um, in the game um or you can go the other direction so like you know like there's always a way to kind of tweak stuff and i i i personally <laughs> recommend like that's that's a good way to start if you're going to design yes. something for the first time is is start with the mechanic start with the system that you that you feel kind of does the job and maybe play and tweak a little bit with some things rather than putting yourself through um, the arduous task of designing a whole system from the ground up unless you're really sure that you're ready for it and that's something we'll be talking about um, in the future. Yeah, <laughs> definitely a good place to start as a new designer. It's not the only place you have to start, but your game is not going to be more impressive if you invent your own new system. Your game is impressive if the stories that you're able to tell within that game are fun. That's what makes a game good. Sure. Use the tools you got. No, no one, no one's gonna judge you for doing a PBTA game. They're gonna be like, "Oh, I love PBTA, and I'm gonna play this game now." Right. And there's something to be said for having an audience kind of built in. Yeah. Because yeah. there, there, there are some people well, out there who love to play Fate, and they would love, they just love trying out different, uh, mm -hmm. different genres and settings in the Fate fold. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's great to move into a new game and then have something familiar uh, that you can sort of ground yourself on as you're as you're exploring a whole new world. Mm -hmm. But it's still a PBTA game or still a fake game, so you know what you're doing as far as the system goes. Um, so I think as a player, there's definitely something uh, really useful about that. For sure, for sure. Oh. So there you go. Start designing a game. Start hacking a system. Yeah. <laughs> One of these days yeah, I'll you, do that. You hack a system, you are a game designer. That's that's my opinion. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I 100% agree. And eventually it gets to like the ship at Theseus point where like, right. is, this, exactly. <laughs> is this a new game now? Like, what is yeah. this? <laughs> that can happen too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Speaking of things that are a little bit derivative, you know how every fantasy <laughs> book is about Lord of the Rings. But <laughs> that's but, my but, segue. Into but the a little different. Topic. <laughs> Elves. Elves. <laughs> Elves and dwarves. I'm so bad at segues. <laughs> that's okay. Our that can... topic for today is about fantasy literature. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of fantasy literature. I still am. Um, I started real early. Uh, obviously, The Hobbit was one of the first things that mm -hmm. I read, um, which is, you know, it's a classic for a reason. So <laughs> oh, It's so good. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I started with uh, Tolkien at an early age, and what did they say? Uh, the I'm trying to remember what the uh, the quote is that uh, every uh... oh man, I can't remember it. There's a there's a quote that's that's about some classical author saying that everything that came afterwards is a footnote. Uh, to them, and I will say that most modern fantasy is a footnote to Tolkien. So. <laughs> yeah. I will say it's it's changed a lot more recently. I've read some good stuff that isn't as derivative, um, but there was a real a real stretch there for a while where you had your elves and your dwarves, and that was about. <laughs> I I think Tolkien just did a he you know he was a linguist and a historian, and, and you know he had his his uh, mind on all of this very European tradition fantasy. If you look at the fantasy novels coming from other cultures, there's not a lot of stuff that you could call derivative from Tolkien. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's so much cool stuff out there. Um, it's just, you know, when you get elves, everyone, you say elves and everyone starts thinking of Tolkien elves rather than like Santa elves. Now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, that's true. What have you been reading, Brennan, or uh, even just, you know, recently or in the, you know, past 10 years or even just like anything like what what's not derivative? What's a good? Well, I've read some for? really cool stuff recently that has been uh, much less uh, Tolkien-esque, I would say. Um, the. N.K. Jemison's Broken Earth series. Oh my gosh. Which I is excellent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then um, there's another author, and I'm kicking myself because I can't remember his name, but he writes these very Afrocentric uh, fantasy novels um, that are, uh, you know, all about. Uh, characters with you know with supernatural powers and the ability to to split between worlds and things like that which are you know uh just really really good solid um books uh that are not told from a european perspective which i think is really cool yeah. I, I like getting uh new perspectives on the fantasy genre the fifth season uh, the N.K. Jemison, like the first novel in, in that Brooklyn Earth series, the fifth season, it was the first time in a while that I have felt so hooked by a fantasy story. I was like, oh man, I don't know what's going to happen. And like when the realization of who the characters are, when that happens without spoiling anything, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing. I loved how she she did the world there. It felt fresh and new and engaging and and dark oh i loved it yeah the world building was really good in those oh yeah for sure definitely i would recommend that book um to any adult reader um i would not recommend that book series to a, a younger reader though um, no maybe like 16 and up is probably where i would cut it off as a teacher yeah and i'm not as into the uh the ya stuff anymore i don't know exactly what's going on with that but um i do know that there's a lot of good stuff for younger readers out there too um, the, the young, young adult as a genre is much more of a genre than it was when I was a kid. I mean, I picked up Lord of the Rings and started reading it when I was like 
12. So <laughs> right, but but not exactly for kids. No, Tol- Tol- Tolkien is not is not young adult. No, it's not. No, and, <laughs> it's it's heavy reading. I probably would have been reading other stuff that was a little easier for me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's some thick language. It is in those it books. Is. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of yeah. a slog. Yeah, the Hobbit's pretty good. Like for a young, the Hobbit reader. is the yeah. Hobbit is a young reader book. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I I didn't read that until I was an adult, though. I was oh like, yeah. Oh, this is so quick because I had already read Fellowship before. Oh, this is so different. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it is. Different. It is. And what is so <laughs> hilarious about it is that Lord of the Rings was what he produced when his publisher asked for a sequel to The Hobbit. So. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I wish I could say more on like what teens and middle schoolers i should be able to i'm i'm an english teacher uh i teach high school okay i i don't pay that much attention to what my students are reading i kind of let my librarians make those decisions for them because all the books i read um you know are are the books i like to read and they're for mostly a more adult audience and not all of them i can recommend like i've seen some kids read a song of ice and fire but I'm not gonna go recommend that to them. <laughs> right. Uh. Right. And I, yeah, I, I did read that whole Game of Thrones series, mm-hmm. uh, which I really enjoyed at first, and then kind of lost interest in over time. But yeah, that one was uh, uh, really engaging. The the beginning of it, just because the way it plays with your expectations. So yeah. I think that has been such a trope, though, that now we're always expecting our expectations to be subverted. Right. So, so, so the next I... the next great uh, fantasy story, whether it come in you know series or movie or book format, is going to be the the author that spends the entire time making you think that they're about to subvert something, <laughs> and you're just waiting on the edge of your seat for that subversion to come, and it never does, and it ends up being exactly like a, a classic fantasy tale. But they're gonna, but they're gonna do it real smartly, where they're gonna like they're gonna subvert little things, they're gonna hint at this and hint at that, and then they're gonna like, oh, I didn't expect that it would end exactly like it should. Right. <laughs> Wait, hold on. <laughs> They became the king? I don't get it. They, they lived happily ever after? A happy ending? <laughs> all, the, all, the pro, all the main characters introduced in the first four chapters survived to the end? Right, right. <laughs> I don't know. I do think we were living in a real rich time for fantasy uh, media because we now have the ability to adapt some of this stuff to the screen, which mm-hmm. was not possible before. Mm-hmm. Without it looking really, really cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the King Killer Chronicles is apparently going to be adapted to the screen, or is like in the process. And I mean, that's not finished yet. <laughs> the last right. book we're still waiting on, but uh, yeah, without without looking cheesy is the main point. I mean, the Sci-Fi Channel has been doing a lot of that for a while now, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I feel like. Uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings adaptation really showed people what it could do and that it could be a real pop culture phenomenon again. So at the same time then though, they did the Hobbit movies in the same vein. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a different, they should have taken a different approach to that property. I agree. Definitely. Yeah. 
but uh um you know i like uh some of the more modern fantasy stuff that i read i read a lot of neil gaiman um and his his more modern take on fantasy which uh you know like urban fantasy style stuff which i really enjoy uh urban fantasy is definitely a genre that i'm into i'm waiting i'm waiting to see i'm sorry no 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 I'm waiting to see if they're ever going to get around to making the Talisman or Eyes of the Dragon. Um, what Stephen King um, uh-huh. dipped his toe into fantasy um, a little bit here and there. I mean, the, the Dark Tower series has plenty of fantasy too, but it's like right. weird, weird fantasy. Um, yeah. Whether whether we'll see the Dark Tower in like any sort of complete big you know way, I, who knows? But the Talisman could make a movie, and the and Eyes of the Dragon could could be could be a movie and that's a that's a that's a young adult story that's like much more oriented toward kids towards kids yeah um jess are you familiar with the eyes of the dragon i am not i haven't read it i've only that read was... a couple stephen king's i i haven't um i've watched a lot of movies but i haven't read a lot of the books that was stephen king make uh writing a story for his daughter okay i'm gonna just check that out it's uh, yeah. it's it's very classic fantasy trope there's a lot of cl- classic fantasy stuff in it but there's some stuff in there that's very surprising yeah, I, I love the, like, it's kind of hard to separate some horror and sci-fi from fantasy. Yes. And I, I love those genre intersections. Like you were talking about with the urban fantasy, Brennan. Yeah. Just the genre intersection is so fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm reading uh, uh, Tamsin Muir's uh, Gideon the Ninth right now, which is, about it's a, it's a it's a space fantasy but they're all necromancers so mm-hmm. you know that's uh that's an interesting take on it that they uh they animate dead bodies as their as their robots basically <laughs> yeah dresden files does i mean dresden files has its own tropes within the series and everything but i like how pulpy it is and i like the blending yeah. of the horror and the fantasy and the urban nature of it mm-hmm. um that, yeah, it's I'm just a big a fun read. I'm a big fan of that series too. I just got the final book for Christmas, so I am not caught up at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my sister got me a book uh, for Christmas called "The Darker Side of Magic" that I'm really excited to get into. Mm. I don't remember who the author is. Uh, I it, the the title might be slightly different than what I just said, but I'm I'm very ready for that. And I just read a. Not I gifted her a book that I read um, a, a while back called The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, okay. which combines the mystery genre, like a, almost like a murder mystery Hercule Poirot style with fantasy. And that was really fun. It's like Groundhog's Day meets Agatha Christie. Oh, that meets, sounds interesting. I'll meets, have to check that one out. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so cool. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of cool, fun stuff people are doing with the fantasy genre. And I love that as a game designer, because a lot of games are, are fantasy-based. Yes. There's yeah. fantasy games? What? <laughs> <laughs> Where? <laughs> Everywhere. Well, people just like it. And, yeah. I mean, it's escapism, and that's kind of why we right. play games. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I understand why people like to play games that are a little bit more like a realistic style, like more, not hardly any games are just plain mundane. Um, although there, there are games that exist out there like that, but who doesn't want to go slay a dragon, you know, or right. run 
ride one, be one. Be one. <laughs> Do something yeah. in the dragon milieu. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just fun. And and the more the more cool stuff that writers like I feel like writers themselves, you know, they spend a lot more time in their own heads thinking about the worlds. They're now beholden to like a like a mechanic system. So they can do all sorts of fun experimentation. And then we can let it trickle down on us like like Reaganomics on your <laughs> games. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I, yeah, I I agree. Um, and uh, that's one of the reasons that this is the topic that I picked is just because it's it ties so much into what I'm doing uh, with gaming in general. That uh, you know, I, that's why one of the reasons I enjoy gaming so much is that I'm been such a big fan of the literature, mm -hmm. and so I take inspiration from that into my gaming groups and uh, bring in various tropes from those you know those books that i've read into the game yeah and, and it's fun too to subvert those expectations yeah so some of my favorite <laughs> modules are are plays on fantasy tropes that don't quite go the way you expected right like, I, I remember one of the first games i ever played of D D. we were supposed to go slay a dragon but it turns out the dragon was the good guy all along we had to save the dragon from the angry townsfolk i loved that that was so fun <laughs> <laughs> my first written like professional credit that i actually got paid money for was a subversion of the damsel in distress oh that's great nice yeah it's fun it's fun to do there's um uh, ringworks.com uh, I play some of the like the choose your own adventure style text adventure games on there and they do a lot of that too and they they turn it in a humorous way they had a really good subversion of the damsel in distress too where the damsel was also trying to save you all along <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. in, in, in mine the, the the damsel was a um was a dryad whose the, the forest had been corrupted and her tree was going to die which was going to kill her. And she had a love who had gone off to find the means to save her. And then he disappeared. So they had to go save the hero. Nice. Who was saving the damsel. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so fun. <laughs> Man, now I want to go watch Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I, I've been staring at it on my stream you know, on streaming. it like every so often I'm popping through looking at stuff and I was like, well, if I start watching one of them, I'm right. going to have to watch all of them. So when do I want to commit to, you know, 10 hours of movie? <laughs> I have several friends who, like, make it a yearly tradition around this time to watch. Watch it. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. It's, it's been a while. I should sit down again. Yeah, it's it's been quite a bit since I have seen them. I feel like I've seen the Hobbit movies a couple of times because someone else was watching them and I was just in the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this <laughs> no and that's the thing I, I was such a fan of the Lord of the Rings and then so sad. then I was so disappointed by the Hobbit <laughs> yeah well this was a, a lot of fun I, yeah. I love I love talking about all of this it's it's so nice to you know like I, I love thinking about fantasy because now I want to go write or I want to go read or yeah. watch Absolutely. Well, let's let's go ahead and wrap up then. Are we all good to go? 
Yeah, I think so. I think so. So, uh, Brennan, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you on socials? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can find me at Brennan Taylor on Facebook and at Brennan R. Taylor on Twitter. And my website is www.galileogames.com. Do you have any cool stuff coming out soon? Yeah, a Thousand Arrows will be released early next year. Uh, that is the Japanese Warring States period uh, game using Powered by the Apocalypse, which I think is going to be... Uh, it's it's done some really interesting things with the system, so I think it'll be uh, it'll be cool stuff for people to check out. Cool, excellent. Well, you can find me on Twitter at, at Joska, and I don't have anything cool coming out. So instead, <laughs> why don't why don't you do some some good mutual aid and help out your community? Buy buy games from a local person. <laughs> That's my plug. <laughs> um, and I'm Craig Campbell. Um, I'm uh, Nerdburger Craig on Twitter. Uh, the website is nerdburgergames.com and I'm still moving toward low stakes um, early next year. Uh, layout is almost done. That's what I've been doing on my holiday weekend. I've been doing, I learned how to do the layout. It's, it's <laughs> not super fancy, but it's, it's getting there. <laughs> and we can see some actual plays of that on this very Twitch channel, can't we? Or is that good strong hands that you just did? Uh, that's good strong hands that we just did. Okay. Um, low stakes, yeah. Low stakes has barely been vis- barely been seen by anybody. I had like a little playtest group. We crunched it out. Um, um, although I do, I have already gotten some people kind of coming out of the woodwork saying, "Hey, when this goes to Kickstarter, I want to put it on my Twitch channel." Awesome. So they want to they want to run something. Um, Brennan, it, Brennan, it, for, for for are you familiar with what we do in the shadows? I am. That's low stakes. Okay. It's it's, nice. it's it's that as an RPG basically. That's I great. am a sucker <laughs> for a good pun. Yes. <laughs> so there you go, everybody. Um, <laughs> thank you for uh, for listening. Uh, now go design a game or GM or uh, read uh, some fantasy literature. Definitely. Because if you don't, if you don't, after we spent a whole hour talking about those things, then we will be very very sad. Mm-hmm. And you don't want that. We'll know too. Uh, thank you for joining us we'll see you again in two weeks on friday though this is a special saturday edition because of christmas yep (laughs) scheduling bye (laughs) yeah (laughs) bye